Welcome to episode 202 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. What's good? Everything. Man, everything is good except whatever I'm going to deny. Uh, You know, (laughs) I'm just so thankful. We're getting close to being able to put a button in this uh, episode 200 project we're working on. And I'm so thankful for all of our listeners. Like people have have called in some funny things, some really heartfelt things, um, some just really good voicemails. So I'm really looking forward to getting this project out there for everybody to see. Uh, it's it's pretty sweet. I'm pretty excited. It's coming up. It is. I'm happy to that we're going to be able to release that soon. And let me say this. I mean this literally. I laughed. I cried. I was confused <laughs> at times. There's a wonderful group of people who called in to help us celebrate. And it's almost, almost maybe not too late. So if you want to leave us a voicemail and say something about the 200th episode, we'd be happy for you to do that. What is that phone number? 607-444-2767. And bros. Sorry, we have to always acknowledge the bros. Let me say this as well. I think this is a fine time. Maybe people tire of us saying this. This is not like public radio where it's not some kind of phone-a-thon. We're always, though, so thankful. We really are indebted. There are a group of people that give regularly to the podcast, which amazes me. And that helps cover all the incidental costs that we have. And there are actually many of them. So the hosting, putting this stuff together... Thank you for those that give. And if for some reason you're inclined to give, and of course your first responsibility to giving should always be to your church. But if you seek the the mind of the Lord in this and he gives you reason to want to give toward this little podcast, you can do that by going to reformbrotherhood.com and there's a link there for Patreon, which has helped facilitates the giving to the show. Yes. Yeah. We are we're always thankful for when uh someone gives. It enables us to upgrade our equipment, to do things like purchase our new logo, um, you know, upgrade the website, uh, which is is great. And it just makes it so we can kind of serve the brotherhood better with with the resources God's given us. Um, nobody it's funny in preparation for the 200th episode I went back and listened to some of the first episodes and I was I was talking to you on a wireless gaming Logitech (laughs) headset that I probably could have like talked into an actual tin can connected to my computer and come out with better audio than that Um, and I actually thought it sounded okay at the time and now I listen to our show now and I'm like oh man so much of it is the microphone my audio editing skills are not that good the microphone really really does it um, so thank you to everyone who has been a supporter of the show. Anyone who's thinking about it in the future. Um, we really appreciate your generosity. I remember the very first episode and I have this recollection of we were trying to set it up and I had, I think like you, an over the head microphone and we couldn't get it to work. And so I know that first episode for me was recorded on my little MacBook pro yeah. just using the ambient microphone. Oh my word. I just can't believe it. It just seems like so long ago and I can't believe that anybody would want to listen to that. So I'm so thankful for the way that God has brought us along in our conversing and just a benefit to have the technology because there's something to be said for, isn't it just way more pleasant to listen to something 
where the sound quality is just of a higher level that actually makes it so much more enjoyable yeah. and I think more relatable. So yeah. we've often talked about the fact that when it comes to podcasting, first, everybody should start a podcast if you have an interest. But second, it's certainly more about what you're saying in the content. You can say something, as long as what you're saying is really solid and helpful and useful, it doesn't matter so much about the technology. But of course, there comes a point where it's just nice to have something yeah. that makes it a little bit more pleasant to listen to. Yep. Absolutely. Well, yeah. uh, these messages have been brought to you by the Reformed Brotherhood. Uh, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> let's move on to uh, some affirmations and denials. Yeah, let's do it. You kick us off. What are, You want to do affirmations or you want to get into negative first? Let's do affirmations first. Okay, fair enough. So I'm. this is a little bit of a strange affirmation. So we are a top 50 innovative healthcare podcast. <laughs> Uh, we've done a little bit of political episodes, Actually but we're not correct. we're not a political episode. But I am affirming honest political signs. So okay, everybody knows that this election is it's it's the the choice between the lesser of two evils for for most people. Um, you know, there are some people that really really support Trump, and there's some people who really really support Biden. But for the most part, most people that I've talked to are voting against somebody. They're either voting for Biden because they don't want Trump. Or they're voting for Trump because they don't want Biden. And I drove right. past a political sign in someone's front yard the other day that said, and I quote, settle for Biden. <laughs> and, and we drove past it and, and Ashley looked and went, did that sign say settle for Biden? And I almost had to pull over the car because I was laughing so hard because it was just it was just refreshingly honest. And it wasn't yeah. I mean, it was a little sarcastic. And obviously this person. This person may be a Trump supporter who's saying settle for Biden, like trying to make a statement, but it was just refreshingly honest in a sort of a non snarky vitriolic way to say, like, this choice sucks. No matter no matter what we end up with, it's not ideal. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it was funny. So I'm just affirming honest political signs because you don't you don't see them that often. We were we were uh, laughing because so many of the signs you see are the names sound like they're made up. Like they're just names you don't you don't really run into. Like they just sound made up. So it was nice to see something that was just honest. I've got a hot take on this, and it's that I think. So you live in New Hampshire, yes. And this is true. That, that's where that's where I'm from. So we were in New Hampshire with you in what was that like July? Yeah. And my hot take is that per capita, I think that New Hampshire has some of the most hilarious homemade signs. Yeah of political and otherwise natures that I've seen in almost any state because there were at least two times while we were visiting New Hampshire that my wife, while I was in the car said to me, slow down and stop. We need to take a picture of that sign. Yeah. Some of these signs I can't repeat this on this true. podcast because yes. they were of a interesting nature, but I was like, man, people are going out of their way to make some very interesting expressions that they're putting on the front lawn. Yeah. i saw another sign too that said, um, functional adult for president 2020. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was just, it gave me a chuckle. You know, the, the, the election coming up is frustrating and it's, it's a weird yeah. time in our, in our world. It's a weird time in our, our lives. Um, and it's hard, like it's hard to think about the, the two real, I know like vote third party, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But like the, the two realistic options for who's going to be president, uh, it's a little depressing if I'm being honest. So it was, it was nice to have a little bit of levity in the context of that, that situation. So I affirm yeah. whoever it was that made that sign and put it uh, in their front yard. I kind of would like to go on record of just affirming generally with those who are making these fun signs yeah. who, on their own volition. Was that homemade? No, this was that like a regular printed one. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't like one of the billboard ones that, that you're thinking of. It was like a regular... <laughs> I mean, like, it's, you get it at a print shop. You can put whatever you want on a sign. But, like, it was a regular front yard political sign. Like, like one, a placard. Yeah, like on the little stakes, yeah. It wasn't just like so, a poster board that someone made in their basement. Yeah, that's so that's even better. It wasn't like somebody took out a giant piece of plywood and spray painted, right. which I've seen some pretty hilarious right, New Hampshire yes. signs of spray painted nature. But somebody actually went to the great length of saying, I'm going to go have somebody professionally yes. print this for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then stick it on my lawn. They were committed. <laughs> they were committed to the bit, which is what you got to do. Oh, that's so great. Right, what about you? What are you affirming? So I, I'm calling an audible. I, up until this moment, I had something that was in front of me that I was going to affirm. I think I'll save it for oh. another week. And then I changed because I remembered something. And that is that I was called out this week on Facebook. Oh. And I feel like I got to respond. So it's probably no, I would say it's, it's uh, no secret for anybody who's listened for some length of time that often my affirmations tend to move in the direction of music. And somebody called me out for not affirming a particular group this week. And I thought, you know what? I, I can get down with this. I will, I will jump in and I will acquiesce and I will affirm. So I'm affirming with Shane and Shane oh, man. because they've produced a lot of great music over time. And I, I have the styles of music, of course, which I appreciate, but I like to think that I'm fairly open-minded with respect to styles. Style, of course, is ambivalent to theology. Theology is certainly more important in music than I think the style itself. And so in particular, I'm affirming with their Hymns Live album. Yes. So Shane and Shane put this out in 2019 in February. It is so good. And it's good enough because I have this thing with people taking music that is super good by the original artists and maybe trying to embellish it. And one song in particular of contemporary nature would be Andrew Peterson's Is He Worthy? And so I'm always like, when, when I see a group take that song, like Chris Tomlin, stop yeah, it. Yeah, just, just stop. Yeah, just stop. I mean, just generally we could say just stop it. But he tried to do this and I was just like, man, just let Andrew Peterson do his thing. And I would say Shane and Shane's version of Is He Worthy live yeah. is really fantastic. So this whole album, this hymns live album is 13 amazing songs of traditional hymns, somewhat reimagined, but in a way that I think appropriately respects where they've come from in terms of their historicity. And yet also provides a little bit of a contemporary flair. It's beautiful. So in response to me being called out and saying, I have not recommended Shane and Shane and that they have a fantastic music. I'm saying, yes, that is true. And I'm affirming with, Hymns Live by Shane and Shane. Yeah, they're they're a phenomenal duo, I guess. Um, you know, a little bit lesser well known is Shane Bernard is one of the two Shanes in Shane and Shane. He his younger, I think it's his younger brother Justin Bernard actually also put out an album. I haven't heard anything from him for a long time, but it's a very similar style. It's also very good. So look that up. Are you sure you're not thinking of Andy Bernard? I am not thinking of Andy Bernard. He's also an excellent singer. You know, maybe, maybe instead of follow laws, we could have some root to do's in, in worship music. Yeah, that would certainly, that there's something in that. I think that is, yeah, that wouldn't make anybody uh, angry. Not, not anyone. I will say, and I did come to your defense on this post on Facebook. We did recommend Shane and Shane very early on. I think it was like episode two or three. It must have been episode three, maybe like three or four. Somewhere in the first 10 episodes, we talked a little bit about worship and uh, we recommended Shane and Shane. And there was some band with the word lion in it that did a Psalm CD that I, or a Psalms album that yes. I remember. Yes. 
My Soul Among Lions. Yes, yeah. Which so is, which is also fantastic. That was prior to us inventing affirmations and denials, which is just a yes. very thinly veiled recommendation section. <laughs> uh, it's not even veiled. It's it's just a straight recommendation <laughs> section. It's no subtlety. Uh, but we did recommend it early on, so it's not like we totally forgot about Shane and Shane. We just have never done it no, as a it, formal it, affirmation. Or yeah, denial. they've they've always been there. And I love their fidelity to scripture with representation of the music that they create. Yes. I would say to just to tack on there, I think my soul among lines, which again, I'm going to just go throw out there again. That is the musical equivalent of the uh, popcorn with coconut oil. <laughs> yeah, just it's just a perennial uh, recommendation. <laughs> It, it just comes back. My only grievance, and this is maybe a slight grievance, is, again, on some of their albums, they're taking these wonderful, beautiful hymn, hymns, 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 and then they're sneaking in like a chorus, or they're at least doing, like they're doing, I think, a Chris Tomlin version of Amazing Grace, yeah. My Chains Are Gone, yeah. which has the chorus in it. And I don't, I think, this is, can I just trigger people for a second? Are you cool with that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like the new... <laughs> Love, honor everyone, trigger everyone is trigger the new, everyone. the new trigger everyone, love the brotherhood. There we go. That, you actually led me in a different direction because you kind of did this. Uh, I thought you were going to say, no, we just need to move on. Uh, but that's really not our style. So I, I will say this. I, I feel like there's a sense in which the inserting the chorus, the brand new written chorus into the hymn. I don't want to say that this is like a product of total depravity, but it, but it seems this way. And here's why I'm saying this, because I had a personal experience this week. <laughs> I was actually working on something where I thought I, I was going to rewrite the tune to Come Thou Fount. And I was actually putting it, I was working on it, putting it into a minor key. And as I was doing that, halfway through, I realized I was trying to insert a chorus of my own. It just happened. Jesse's, was, Jesse's like, the man who did this must die. And then I'm like, you are the man. Yes. You just prophet Nathan to me. Yeah. Like, basically, I was like, you are that man. Halfway through, I was like, oh, you know what this needs? It's like, it just seems a little bit something different between the verses. And I was like, what would we call that? And I was like, oh, my word. I'm trying to write my own chorus yeah. for this hymn. Well, when it's hymns, so I, you just, you just got to call it a refrain and then it's all better. Uh, so literally I'm telling you, it was like a moment of where I was overwhelmed by conviction. I actually thought I just needed to set this guitar on fire. It's I've come too far. Like the only way to really make this go away yeah. is to, to stop it. So yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Was that was epically long affirmation. It's so okay. hit me with a denial. What do you got? So this again, as most of my denials do has a little bit of a backstory. So I'm denying cold showers. You know, the backstory here. <laughs> so Yes. Thursday, you know, we live in an old building. The building is was built in the mid 1800s. You know, it's it's been updated, obviously. But the burner, I actually learned this today. The the boiler furnace for the building was installed shortly after your family moved into the building here. So it's oh, yeah, been it's, old. it's almost 30 years old. I think it's like 29 years old. And we had our routine cleaning on Thursday uh, and the oil company uh, put a big red tag on the burner and said, don't ever turn this on again or your building will burn down. So we now, uh, by God's grace, we're, we're going to be able to purchase a new a new furnace and water system for the, the church. But uh, until that happens, my wife and I do not have any hot water in the building. So cold showers it is, man. It's It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. I mean, it's not pleasant. As you know, supposedly that's like amazing for your body, but not my body. I can't imagine. It's not okay. It's not good for my body. Not at all. Not even a little. Uh, I've done this thing sometimes where 
if you've gone out exercising, it's particularly hot in the summer, you come back and you try to take a really cold shower. It, I feel like that's good for like two seconds. Yeah. And then you're like, just put me right back up to making this thing steamy. I don't care if I was sweating my, you know, self crazy yeah. outside. I want to just take a hot shower. Yeah. I, um, I basically like took the, like stuck the part of my body that I was washing under the water and then jumped back out and like put another part of my body <laughs> under it. It was, it was bad. It was real bad. I, we're going to have to find somewhere else to shower for a while. It was bad. But the one, the one grace, I mean, that's the one grace. There's all sorts of grace in this, right? Our building didn't burn down. There's all sorts of things Absolutely. to be thankful for. We're not, not complaining at all about that. This is mostly lighthearted. But the one really major saving grace in this is that for the most part, my wife and I work from home right now. So if we're not super well put together and, and clean, it's not the end of the world for us to not have a shower access regularly like we do. So I'm thankful that we're safe. I'm thankful that God's been gracious to provide um, a financial ability for the church to pay for new equipment. I grudgingly, and I know that God will have to beat this out of me. I'm grudgingly thankful for cold showers, I guess, but it's still going to be a denial. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I understand what you mean. The common grace abounds, yes. right? The ability to just be able to, to yeah. go and have like modern plumbing and warm yeah. showers. We Maybe people, somebody out there need to hear that they should be thankful for yes. a nice temperate shower. Yes. What about you? What are you denying this week? This is also completely frivolous, but I, I feel like I want to bring this up because this has also impacted your life. This is something you've been exposed to recently, though probably you haven't participated in it, but you've been, definitely been exposed to it. And it just struck me recently how ridiculous the name of this thing is. So Netflix rebooted a show that was very popular in the 1980s. Do you know where I'm going with this? I don't. I think it's Netflix. They rebooted a show. And this show for a certain, let's say, vintage of people scared them crazy when it was actually oh, on yes. TV. I do know where you're going. <laughs> so I'm affirming, uh, affirming, I'm denying against unsolved mysteries, but maybe not for the reason people think. Like if you want to watch unsolved mysteries, that's I'm totally fine. And there's a, certainly a component of that show. It, it covers a broad spectrum of what they consider to be unsolved mysteries. And some of those, it seems like they have been the, the actual airing of these unsolved mysteries, for instance, like murders or abductions, yeah. stuff like that. It's actually yielded a lot of results. I'm just straight denying against the redundancy in the title. Yeah. That's the thing that I was thinking about recently where I was like, <laughs> A mystery by nature is, of course, unsolved. Like a solved mystery now is just fact. So I just think it's so funny. I guess, obviously, I know it's marketing. To call a show mysteries is like not as good as like unsolved mysteries to yeah. modify it. But I was also a bit like, it seems pretty ridiculous yeah, as a title. I'll be honest, like the, the theme music gives me the willies. Like it gives me, yeah, well, it gives me so shivers. Yes, it's so epic, right? That da 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 da. Yeah. Like that whole thing is really well done. Could, how could they you did do that, that again for me? <laughs> no, because it's, <laughs> it's actually so. Here's another thing. Here's my hot take number two of this episode. In your mind, the unsolved mysteries theme is super clear, right? The melody seems very yeah. articulate and pronounced. Go ahead and try yeah, to replicate to it. <laughs> you, you, if you try, you're gonna end up. You're gonna end up closer to the Twilight Zone. Usually, I think. Yeah, I, I think this is a fun experiment I've tried recently just with myself is if you tell people I'm going to sing a theme to a, a some kind of show and try to do that, I would say 90% of the time, nobody will know what it is that you're trying to replicate. It's a simple melody, but so hard to do. Yeah, I think that depends on the kind of show because like 
think like uh like full house like everybody can do the full house theme but it, it's like a it's the kind of song it is is really straightforward but like the un, yes. the unsolved mysteries thing i think some of it probably has to do with there's no words so like your brain doesn't have anything really to latch onto except this weird sort of an asynchronous melody it's it's very strange i will say the new unsolved mystery theme like the new way they've arranged it's not as freaky as the old one it's got like sort of almost like a little techno feel behind it it's a little more upbeat but yeah just that and that i mean that's they designed the theme song to do this to you it's there's some musical reason why it's this way to give you the feelings it does it's supposed to leave you uneasy like the uh x files theme it's the same kind of yeah, same kind it's, of it's scale, in the same genre. Yeah, right. And it's again, it's unique. It's pronounced. You know, when you hear it, you know that's what it is. They did a brilliant job. Actually, it's actually probably most people don't appreciate how difficult it is to write a theme and to write one that evokes that kind of strong, yeah. like emotional tie or connectivity. So they did a fantastic job with it. And again, just to head off like any kind of calls and emails, I'm not, I'm not denying against unsolved mysteries per se just the title itself. So, and, and I said that like your life has been impacted by it as mine has, because it sounds like both our wives <laughs> yeah. have gone through like in a very short period of time and have watched all of the episodes. Yeah. I just tried to do the X-Files theme in my head and I got about halfway <laughs> through and realized I was actually doing the Downton Abbey theme in my head. <laughs> what? How did that happen? Uh, you, you'll play them next to each other. They're not that different. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're not that different. Uh, I, so I get, I, I do get what you're saying. I, I think also, isn't this something that there's something to be said here about how difficult it is for like the human voice to try to replicate some yeah. of these things. It just seems like, again, in your mind, the, the disconnect between your, your mouth and your vocal cords being able to hum something and what, you know, you have like discreetly defined in your headspace as the music Music is tough like that. So here's the theological practice question of the week. I would love (laughs) to get some voicemails of people choosing a position and defending it. Okay. We're going to do this like (laughs) high school debate style. Okay. Did Adam have perfect pitch? I don't mean Adam, our brother. I mean, Adam, like the first human in the garden before the fall. Did he have perfect pitch and could he replicate a tune infallibly? Could he have done the X-Files theme song and not had it sound like Downton Abbey? So in other words, could he have perfectly replicated right. any theme song vocally? Correct. At least enough that, like, of course, it would be like a, perhaps because he's using his own vocal cords, a slightly different representation of it, but it would be a pure representation. So there would be no confusion as to what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, I think it's more like, could he translate the tune in his head to his voice perfectly? Yes. Because, like, there's a lot of times we're, we're going to just, like, this is going to become a, a t- episode topic. It shouldn't, but there's a lot of times that I can hear the harmony to a song in my head really well and it yes. sounds fine. And then I try to sing it and I sound like a dying rhinoceros or something and it's bad. It makes you want to like die a little bit inside. So the question, the theological question of the week, maybe we just invented a new segment. The theological question of the week is does the fall affect our ability to translate our thought to speech? And maybe like pitches and stuff. Right. And like oral, oral skills, right. like how strong we're. So let's do this rather than you and I getting into this. And actually, uh, you definitely stumbled on something for which I have a strong opinion. We won't give our opinions. Yes. The only way that you'll be able to evoke our opinions is if we get enough callers so that we can actually do a segment on this. Yes. And here's some other opinions besides our own. Yep. 
that's a good a good way for us to transition into our real topic today, which also involves yes. public singing, nevertheless. It, <laughs> wow. Sorry smooth, for that corny laugh I just smooth did. Smooth like butter. <laughs> or coconut oil. Or coconut so, oil. What we're talking about on this episode is something that I had become familiar with a little while ago, but I guess was just kind of brought to a lot of people's attention by way of an article, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the the topic of our discussion today is, I'll start it with a little bit of an anecdote. So when I, I was in Minnesota, um, I think it was last October, and I was sitting down with one of my one of my dearest friends in my entire life. He was the best man at my wedding. He was the guy that one of the guys that really brought me to Christ. And we were having a discussion about uh, various elements of the Christian life. And I I made the statement that I thought that the 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 sitting under the preached word of God on the Lord's day, especially as accompanied by the word and the sacraments, was the pinnacle of Christian piety. That, that that was the center of Christian life. And he really strongly disagreed with me and believed that it it, it really was more about private devotion, private prayer. And that, that mm-hmm. doesn't didn't surprise me. You know, the, the tradition, the, the church, I shouldn't say the tradition I came out of because I never really fit all that well. But the church that I came out of where, where he is still a member uh, is very pietistic in terms of it's it's really about your personal practice. You know, Sunday right. is is preparation for real Christian worship, which happens you know in your quiet times throughout the week. That's the perspective where where I would say private worship is really preparation to come together corporately and to proclaim the Lord's graces together. And and so this topic is something that's kind of near and dear to me. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have a great uh, like a great answer for him. I didn't have. I mean, I could point to the importance of preaching and the importance of gathered worship in the Bible, that's relatively easy to do. But then to take that theology and then convert it into something and saying, well, this is not only is it important, but it's more important or more significant than our private devotions is, I actually stumbled a little bit. So I had not run into this sermon that is being discussed, uh, which we're going to go into a little bit here. I had not run into that until this article came out this week in the Cripplegate, which is really, it's really just a summary of this sermon. Um, so I'm right. excited to talk about it because I think it is something that as reformed Christians, I think we probably all would mostly agree with that thesis that when we come together as a Christian body and worship the Lord, that that is somehow more significant or more substantial um, than private worship is. When, you know, when I read my Bible and this is enshrined in our confessions, right? The the, the right. word is made effect, effectual to salvation uh, in, in the reading and especially the preaching of the word. So this corporate element to our worship is a, is a reform distinctive that I think we, we, if we're really honest, I don't know that we always have a really clear explanation rooted in scripture that we can point to kind of readily. I, I didn't have an elevator speech for why this is. I have an elevator right. speech to refute Nestorianism and Molinism, but I didn't have an elevator speech for this particular thing. Right. And this is a topic for anybody who's listened, though we've kind of made this a trope of so many of our conversations, but I don't know we've hit it head on like this. And so the sermon that we're referring to is one that was preached by a man named David Clarkson. And he was actually the Puritan assist. Well, he was a Puritan. He was assistant to John Owen, who was also a Puritan uh, as assistant minister toward the end of Owen's life. He, of course, published several works on his own because he's Puritan and that's like the card carrying Puritan right. ways to like, you know, publish your own works. But on one occasion, and this is what I think the Cripplegate article is referring to on one occasion, he preached a roughly 80 minute sermon yeah. 
80 minute sermons, we should start there about like the, the sense of like the gravity of what's being talked about here from Psalm 87 to and 87, Psalm 87 two reads, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. And in typical Puritan form, we have a gentleman really expounding on this verse in a really substantive and integrative way. And the title of his sermon was actually public worship to be preferred before private. Right. So that's kind of the launching point. I encourage everybody to go look up that sermon and also the Cripplegate article, but this is the place where we're starting. This is going to be the kind of the context, the sandbox of which we're going to play today. Yeah. And, and you know, this isn't, it's not all that surprising, right? We, we, we kind of instinctively know that um, some of the best, clearest thinking and writing on a subject is is when it's in response to an error of some sort. All of our creeds and all of our major sure. creeds, all of our major confessions are responsive documents. And it's important to remember as we talk about some of this stuff that, you know, Owen's primary opponent wasn't the Arminians. It was the Sassinians. And Sassinianism is sort of a weird um, heretical offshoot of some of the Anabaptist movements that really prioritizes private interpretation and private devotion over and above kind of the institutionalized understanding of the church. Anab Anabaptist theology was more of a pietistic, practical um, response to the institutional church. Socinianism was an intellectual response to the uh, institutional church, but it, it, it was the same soil that was, that those two errors were growing in. So both Owen and Clarkson had vibrant and, and aggressive interactions with Socinians. And so that's all in the background of why this kind of sermon came to be. It sort of seems a little silly. I think, uh, we think about it we're like, well, why would he have to preach a sermon to a group of gathered people about the importance right. of gathering for worship? Obviously, they were willing to sit there for 80 minutes, but he was doing it in a, in a, a significant way to give his flock a defense against what they might be hearing in the marketplace from people who were not committed to the same kind of understanding of corporate worship. So I think it's a great topic for us to discuss because especially as we're coming, you know, into this COVID thing, everybody kind of, everybody kind of thought, I mean, I, I thought we were going to be in lockdown for like two or three weeks and then everything was going to go back to normal. And we're now coming up on like eight months, six months of some churches still have not resumed public gathered worship. So, so as, as coronavirus progresses and as a vaccine is developed and as things are able to go back, there will be some people who say like, well, my worship experience has been just fine, even though I was just watching on a screen. So this is something that right. if we really understand it and we really take this, and I'm sure that this is part of why the Cripplegate decided to write on this sermon right now is because it's, it's applicable to our, our age in a way that hasn't been in the past. So it's important for us to digest this and really understanding it so we can give a defense for why we feel so strongly that we have to come together and gathered worship. And what makes this like a really particular resource is in almost every generation, almost every epoch or age, there's, I think, a propensity to internalize the spiritual experience to such a degree that you say, well, the most important thing is for God to communicate with me or to re me to receive either some kind of explicit right. revelation that is either outside the scripture or comports with it, or to overemphasize the fact that the most important thing is for me to have a relationship with God. It almost doesn't matter whether you do or not, right. or to what extent you do, or whether we celebrate that together, or participate in it together. But the fact that at the end of the day, the most important thing is for me to have a relationship with God. And therefore, if that is the most important thing, then it does make an in some ways, some kind of corporate gathering, at least moot, but perhaps totally irrelevant. Yeah. So that's the first thing. But the second thing would be, I think, 
that what's unique about our age is that the, as the access to information grows, as the barriers come down, I think that actually gives us increased propensity to think then that we do not need right. some sense of corporate gathering as if the preaching of the word was some kind of antiquated custom because in that day and age, not everybody could read or in that right. day and age, not everybody had access to the scriptures in the same way. And so now that we do have those things, we are, and I say this facetiously, some kind of priesthood of believers. And therefore, if I'm a priest, right. why do I need somebody else to represent that or to mediate that or to yeah. come and present that to me? Because I could just go direct, whether it's through my iPhone or through the internet or through the multiple Bibles that I have in my own home, right. I have direct access. And so what I think the first thing we ought to recognize that's super great about Clarkson's sermon, and we spoke about this in all of our grand two-year series of Reformed preaching, is he is incredibly direct, and he's incredibly discerning, and he's incredibly precise and pointed with what he's saying. In other words, he's going to say things like, here's the bottom line. The Lord is more glorified by public worship than private. Yeah. Now, how often do you hear that kind of thing from the pulpit where there's like a discernible, I'm making a strict case right from the scriptures. And so what we have is somebody argumenting by way of arguing, by way of preaching. And he's not just saying like, this is good tradition. It's good for people to come together. There's solidarity and unity and something special happens right. when you gather all kinds of people together and you bring them into the same place and they can, they can see and get emotionalized in the shared commitment to singing yeah. or listening. He's not talking about that at all. He's saying what the Bible says are things like the Lord is more glorified in public worship than in private, that there's more of the Lord's presence in public worship than in private. Those arguments are amazing. Yeah. I think one, they're scriptural. And the second thing is, I don't think we often hear them like no. that. We, we, we tend to like equate and just like try to smooth out, well, your experience in your private life, your devos, and man, do I really dislike the word devos. <laughs> your devos are just as important. Like you're getting something special and unique from God. And yeah. That's important. And he's, he's like, no, listen, like the most important thing is you to be gathered in, in public worship. So I, I really appreciate like how discerning and direct and to use, to borrow a word from Joel Beakey's Burke, book from he his is Burke? super discriminating from yeah his Burke. Burke Burke he is super discriminating in this yes. isn't he like this whole this whole sermon is just like discrimination it's like no this is the way it is yeah and you just need to get on board with this yeah I'll admit there were some of these points we're not gonna like go through the whole article like you can you guys are respond you know reasonable people just read the article for yourselves but there were some of these points as I was reading through it or I suppose I was listening to it uh, through pocket that I actually was like, nah, like I, I was like, come on. And then, and then after listening <laughs> right. to the explanation, I was like, right. Oh, you know, actually that does make a lot of sense. And th the beauty of the sermon is how clear it is. So one of the biggest challenges that I think is going to face the church and is already facing the church in this, this age of co coronavirus is defining what public worship is anyways. And I know like yes. there's all sorts of discussion and debate about what it is. And he just lays it out there. And he says, he says that there are three elements, not elements in the technical sense. There's three components to gathered public worship. There's ordinances, which is the actual elements of worship. There's uh, an assembly. You can't have a gathered body if you don't actually have a gathered body physically gathered together and an officer who presides over it. And so, so this is, you know, um, one of one of the things that um, John MacArthur has been critical of is some of these megachurches, I think J.D. Greer, they basically have said, all right, everybody go do home churches. So they've taken right. their big church and they split it up into all these little small bodies and they're calling that church. Well, 
a small group is not a church. Like a small group that's led by a layperson, even if you're gathering to do all the same things, which you shouldn't be doing a lot of the things that you would do during corporate worship in a small group, that's not a church because it doesn't have an elder who's who's shepherding and, and presiding over that gathering. It still may be worship, but it's private worship, even if it's done in a sort of pseudo public matter. The fact that like, if I gather with four or five other people and we read the Bible and pray together and sing, um, that's fine. That's good. It's private. If I do that at Starbucks, it's still private worship because right. it's not the formal public gathering of of the Lord's people, particularly but not exclusively on the Lord's Day. That is where we see it. And just to be clear, what he defines as ordinances is what, what we would in, you know, kind of classical regulative principle theology would call elements, right? It's prayer. It's praises, particularly through music. Obviously, they were probably just singing psalms, but hymns, psalms, spiritual songs, um, the word read and preached, and then the administration of the sacraments. That's that's public worship when it's presided over by an, a, an officer of the church, particularly an elder. So, so you know, obviously, like, you can throw all sorts of, um, what about this situation? What about that situation at it? And those are each situations that have to be looked at carefully. But in most, most people's experience, that's what they think of when they think of a church service. When they think of going to right. church on Sunday, that's what they think of. And that intuition is right. It's only when we're faced with some of these other extraordinary circumstances that we start to wonder like, well, what about like on a missions field where there's no ordained officer available? Can you still have a church service? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, we can talk about that some other time, but the exception to the rule proves the rule. It doesn't actually create the right. rule. And those kinds right. of situations a lot of times, and I hope this doesn't sound too like pound you in the face with it, but a lot of times those are those are exceptions that are being used to try to justify some form of disobedience, right? Someone who wants to postulate this crazy situation where the, the church is there on Sunday and the pastor uh, gets called to leave midway through after the sermon, like does this does the service immediately stop being a, like all of those kind of weird situations? They're usually there because someone's trying to justify something. But when you think of the everyday average experience of a Christian, when they think about what the what the gathered worship of the saints is, this is what they think of, and we need to listen to that intuition because it's biblically justified. Right. This is super discriminating. Yeah. I, again, I wish. I'm glad you brought that up because I felt like for a second that we were just like talking about something that we were never going to talk about yeah. because people should just go and read the article in yeah. the sermon. What I think what Clarkson does so well is there's a complete re reorientation. At least there was for me. It was like a paradigmatic shift in thinking about the Lord's Day because for I would say for like the average Reformed Christian, they understand that our tradition has, I'm going to say this relative to evangelicalism, an over-indexed influence or sensibility that the Lord's day is important. Yeah. Like more than the average Christian. I just waved my arms and knocked a ton of books on my desk. That's fine. So, at least it's um, not a cup of water. At least it's, listen, that was kombucha. Oh, that man. was horrible. I still, stuff. I still think about that. I don't know what episode that was where there's like a live recording of me reacting to <laughs> knocking over kombucha, but it was, it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrific. Um, and now I'm just totally, <laughs> now I, I've just totally gone back to that place and lost my train of thought. Uh, but what I think is something that he forces us to grapple with is 
the chicken or the egg. So I still think even when we're well-intentioned, we have this sense that, well, when we come together, it's special because God can do a special work because all his people have gathered together as if it's the volitional sense of the people, which then somehow allows or enables, even if we don't mean this, say this explicitly, God to do a special work. And what Clarkson is focusing on is the fact that he says, no, it's the other way around. You are gathered together because God has ordained this special activity right. for that purpose. In some ways, the, the fact that you even come together is not because you think that you need to come together because God has even said so, but because that is what he has ordained and brought together for the, the behavior of his people. His, behe- his people necessarily out of proper behavior come together, not the other way around, right. and then somehow promote something that is like helpful or fruitful or useful to God's people. And so I like that in the article, just as you said, that this is a beautiful definition of like, here are what are the, again, like the unofficial elements or components or constituent parts of worship. And what strikes me, just what strikes me is that the ordinances include this idea of prayer praises, the word read, expounded, or preached. Yeah. Read, expounded, or preached. And what I've often struggled with is I think sometimes some even may perhaps a well-intentioned preaching doesn't even fall into this category because it's just the word explained right. or the word talked about or the word reread or the story retold, especially when it's in narrative form. There is, a, so this is going to be maybe triggering and maybe offensive. So for what it's worth, here it goes. So if people have, if anybody is familiar with the, the serial comedy Parks and Recreation, there's a character, Andy Dwyer, <laughs> and uh, this is only going to make sense to people who have seen this show. So I'm not necessarily affirming the show, but certainly I'm trying to explain it by way of this particular scene. This character, who's just a kind of a fun-loving, quirky, goofy kind of guy, he is at one point has people over to his own home with his wife, and he's they're hosting an event. And they're supposed to be showing these supporters a, a, a live viewing <laughs> of a debate. You know where I'm going yes. with this. And the cable goes out because they haven't paid the bill. And so he's trying to entertain all of these big donors who are supposed to be watching this debate for this campaign he's been volunteering from. And so what he does instead is he starts to go through and redo or retell his favorite movies. And one of them is, is he's talking about Rambo. <laughs> and so all he's doing is he's retelling the story. Like he's imitating the characters and he's imitating their voices. And he's imitating Rambo's voice. And you know, there's that scene in Rambo where he's like the missionaries come like, you know, what are you going to do? And they're like, we're going to go up river. And he's like, no, don't do it. He's, he's doing all this stuff. And so I, I say all this because that scene is hilarious. I love that scene because he's just like being so funny with the way he's retelling the story, but I've seen so much preaching. That's just that yeah. thing, right? It's, it's just basically like re they the passage of the scripture is, is re is read. I'm, I can't even talk. I'm so fired up. A passage of the scripture is read, especially if it's narrative. And then all the pastor does is he just goes, basically goes through and retells the right. story in his own words, or he tries to make it more funny or tries to make it a little more entertaining, or he sneaks in some jokes, or tries to make it a little more relevant and contemporary. And so I like that even what Clarkson's getting at here, his discrimination is actually essentially in his definition. There's these other 12 things that he says, which are like remarkable yeah. about the statements he's making about public worship over private. But even before he even gets to that, He's basically saying that, listen, part of this is that part of the ordinance is the word read, expounded or preached, not retold, not explained, not told again in a story or narrative form. And so to me, that just like bowled me over. I I don't know. Is that let me I'm going to ask this totally candidly to you. Is that unfair criticism? I mean, have you heard preaching of this kind of degree where it's. Or am I being like really unfair with my criticism? No, I, I think you're fair. I mean, I think I think more common than that 
is sort of the self-help model of preaching, right? Where, sure. where the Bible is used as inspirational supporting evidence for whatever it is, the pastor, preacher, whoever wants to communicate. I mean, there are definitely times, and actually, you know, this is, this is something that they, in a good seminary, they warn you about is, you know, you spend so much time learning about how to do exegesis. And then you spend your entire sermon doing exegesis in front of people and you never get to the so what part. So like I could spend an hour explaining you the intricacies of this Greek construction and that that allusion to this Old Testament passage. But until I actually turn that corner and then say, all right, so now this is what the word of God says to us now in this point. Thus saith the Lord for this congregation for this time as a result of what we've just learned from the text. That's where it becomes preaching in most cases. You know, I think there are definitely sermons where, you know, like the narrative story, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, you'll hear uh, something from the gospels and then the pastor will just go through and be like, all right, so here's what Jesus did. Here's what he said to the, the right. disciples. Right. Here's what he meant by that. Here's a, here's a passage in the old Testament you might've been referencing and then never turns that corner. And I, I think you're absolutely right that that kind of preaching isn't preaching at all. That kind of preaching is just, it's just verbalizing. It's just repackaging the scriptures, which has some value, right? Explaining the scriptures and unpacking the scriptures that way is important, but it's really only the first part of the sermon. And, and right. you know, you talk about the Puritan plain style of preaching, which comes a little bit after Owen and Dixon. It, it's really a later, kind of a little bit of a later thing. But the idea was that you'd have the, the text. So you the, the sermon was broken up into these three parts. There's the text, there's the doctrine, and then there's the use or the improvement. And so the text was literally just that first part of here. Here's what the text says. Let me explain to you how the flow of the text goes. Here's what the story means. Here's the historical context. Then there was the doctrine, which would be, all right, so here's the doctrine we pull out of this. Here, here's how we understand the text. Here's theologically what's going on. And then there was the application. So what I found is a lot of sermons get through step one and step two, and they never move to step three. And that's, that's where I think a lot of the modern church is falling down is we, we teach people how to understand what the Bible says, but we don't necessarily teach the church how to understand what the Bible means for them, what it means in their life, in their application. And not like the, well, what does it mean to you kind of sense? Right, like, what right. does this actually mean? What's the actual importance? What, you know, the, the principal teaching of the scripture, what the scripture, scripture principally teaches is what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So we might get, we might get that first part in most sermons, but then we don't really get to the duty that, that God requires. And that's what God gives us to know how to enjoy and glorify him. So if we miss right. that, we've missed pretty much the whole point of why we're even doing the sermon. And that's what makes this definition so amazingly brilliant because it's, it's concise, but he allows for all that, even all the things you just said. Yeah. So he says there must be an officer and that officer must be set apart by the Lord, biblically right. qualified and affirmed by the church. So that, that pulls away from this idea of just having somebody get up there and, and speak. And as if, if we just have somebody as the, the figurehead of the leader, then we're having church. Yeah. And at the same time, the idea of this assembly, it's not just the gathering together of people, but I like how he says it. It's a congregation. So, of course, we have multiple people joined in the use of these ordinances. Right. So there is a volitional sense in which the behavior 
is both part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian, that Christians do these things, Christians then do these things together, and they're actively involved in these things. So it's not consumption. It's not showing up and watching a movie. It's not showing up and just being present and absorbing something, but actually being a participant in some way with what's happening in this public sense of worship. So this kind of like threefold definition that he puts forward, I think every Christian should take a look at this because if we're trying to assess are we having church and who hasn't myself included, like use that for a little bit, maybe too colloquially in the sense that, well, we're gathered together. We're going to sing some songs. We're having some church right. here, yeah. which, which really just means to say we're praising God. Right. But if we really mean that the Lord's day is something set apart and special, and it's not set apart and special because it's if God is like calling people again to borrow some, maybe pejorative Arminian language as if like God is the frustrated lover here. He's trying to woo his people to come together right. in the Lord's day. And if they do, then good things are going to happen. It's not that at all. It's that the God is, God is making the Lord's day right. immensely special and set apart in its own. The people will come. They are almost inexplicably drawn to be together on the Lord's day yeah. because they have been regenerated. That is the quality, the content and the character of the worshiper of God that they come together. And then that's what then of course allows Clarkson to be able to make what I think on the face might sound like ridiculous things. Like there's more spiritual advantage right. in the use of public ordinances than a private or he says this public worship is more edifying than private or public ordinances are a better security against apostasy than private. I'm with you. When I read that, I was like, say what? Yeah. Like you're going to have to come at me and explain why those things. So I, I'm hoping this will whet people's appetites and they'll be driven to go take a look at that article yeah. and his sermon in particular. Yeah. And you know, some of this is just, it's just basic logic. And, and I don't say that to be pejorative because I missed it too. It, it, but when you think about it and you consume this argument, you really understand it. It's kind of it's kind of like just right on the face obvious. You know, if if it's good for me to worship the Lord privately on my own, how much better is it for me to worship the Lord in a way that also encourages my brothers? Right? right? So like right. so like you take a good thing and you add another good thing to it, then you have a better thing. <laughs> and that that's yes. literally the argument that he's making in a lot of these cases. If one saint worshiping the Lord glorifies him, then how much more does two saints glorifying the Lord? It's not and and you know, it's not as simple as like one plus one is two. It actually, you know, he makes the argument later on in his sermon. It actually is more like the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts because yes, he, he uses exactly. the analogy of like two streams that are coming together to form a river. And, and, you know, if you have two forces that are coming together, when they come together, they don't necessarily just create a force that's exactly the equivalent of those two together. Right. If if I they've actually proven it and they don't exactly understand why. But if I'm standing on a plane and I throw a baseball on the plane, if the plane is going 100 miles an hour in one direction and I throw the baseball 40 miles an hour in the same direction, it actually goes faster than 140 miles an hour. There's some somehow there the momentum of the plane actually multiplies a little bit. And, and the, the, the combined force of the ball is actually greater than the sum of the two forces combined. And, and that happens in rivers, too. You take two rivers that are moving at a speed, you put them together, they're going to move faster. They're going to push more water at a greater rate. And he takes that kind of analogy and he applies it to spiritual things. And, and I think, you know, when I think about the times that I've been sort of like, I don't want to call it like the, the, the uh, dark night of the soul, but like that, that kind of time where like your faith just feels dry and you, you kind of are like, all right, well, I, I know that I need to pray. I know that I need to spend time reading the Bible, but like, I, I'm not really getting much out of it. And even that language is, is problematic, but 
that is good to do that. It's good to go through the motions. Like it's good to force yourself to right. do what you know is right. If you have a motivation to do it, then you should do it. But the spiritual benefit that you have from doing that is enhanced and is greater when you do that alongside your brothers and sisters on the Lord day. And the big thing that this, I think that this has to do with is that the Lord has promised to meet his people in a particular way. He's promised right. that, you know, the, you know, the famous, um, Jeremiah 29, 12, I think, uh, we're all familiar with 29, 11, but I think Jer Jeremiah 29, 12 is you will seek the Lord and, and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Well, yes. well, a large part of what is being said there and the place that the Lord told Israel to seek him was in the temple, in the assembly of the Lord, right? Psalm, Psalm one talks about the congregation of the righteous. So God's people in the old Testament, particularly are always envisaged envisaged are always seen as it as an assembly. It's, it's very rare to speak in the Old Testament about individual personal piety, right? So, so when you look at the, 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 um, the precedent that's set in the Old Testament, where God has promised to meet his people, where he's promised to be found if you seek him there, is in the gathered worship of the saints. So, so right. it's kind of like a no-brainer. Again, like some of this stuff is so obvious when you look at it after it's been explained to you, but it's kind of a no-brainer that like the gathered assembly of the saints is where God has promised to meet his people. So of course it's more effective. If I promise to meet right. you at a particular place and time and you come, then you're going to find me there. Cause I'm, I promise to meet you there. If you go somewhere else, I may find you. We may have some effectual interaction, but maybe not because I haven't promised to meet you there. So I might not even be there. I might right. not even interact with you that way. Cause I haven't. And, and when you take the concept of covenant, it's even more increased. The, the King yes. has covenanted with his people that in certain contexts, in certain actions, in certain, uh, certain venues, he has promised to be present in a particular way that he has not promised to be present in other yes. contexts and ways. And that's the rub, isn't it? Because it's, it, the same as the natural laws you described of physics apply here. So when people say, well, can't I get a kind of commensurate or even an analog experience right. at home? The answer is unequivocally no. Yeah. <laughs> and the re and, and somebody's like, well, why not? And we would say, because the God ordained it this way in the same way that gravity has its kind of effect and pull on this earth. And we say, well, I just don't like it. And isn't there another way that I could live my life? Yeah. We'd say, no, there is not because this is the way that God has ordained it. And so in some ways we need to just get behind that, understand that this is exactly the way the promises that you speak of are very direct and they all focus around this sense of community. And so the irony is I, I feel like we tend to run on one spectrum or the other for the most part. And sometimes we oscillate. So on the one side is everybody who says, I think I can get that kind of experience by just being in nature and going out yeah. and taking a walk in the woods and self-reflecting and having a personal experience with God. And then there are others I think that would say, well, when we gather in church, the reason why it's so meaningful is because just like any other grand event where people come together, there's so much emotion and energy and charge. There's so many people together that itself spurs us forward. Both of those are wrong right. because God is doing this work. Right. It's the work that God has promised to do. It does happen in this context, but it doesn't happen because there's the right amount of people and because there's the most enough emotionalism that's charged up because you have so many people together. And it's certainly not because you're by yourself in the right circumstance and therefore you have some kind of more meaningful revelation. It's because God has done this thing. Yeah. God gets to define it. And so God gets to prioritize it and establish it. And so in some ways there is, I think, a mystery in this, an unsolved mystery, if you will, in the sense that... <laughs> God has established 
that his promise is centered specifically on the gathering of people. It's not because the people gather that the promise is manifest. It's because people gather together because the promise itself right. is being manifest. Does that make sense? Like it that does. distinction? Yeah. And you know, maybe this is a, a good way to kind of like wind this episode down because uh, you and I could continue to go on. I mean, the sermon was 80 <laughs> minutes. We could, we could spend the rest of the day kind of unpacking it. But Absolutely. I remember real distinctly, I, I remember I was at summer camp. I think I might have been an adult leader or maybe I was a senior. I'm not sure. It was right at that cusp of, of graduating from high school. And I remember, um, you know, it was one of those summer camps where like we had these long extended sessions of like musical worship and people would kind of interrupt and share a message that they had. And the culmination of this service, right? We sang Better is One Day in Your Courts by Matt Redman, right? Yes. And and the yeah. culmination of this was the, the leader, I, I don't even think it was a pastor. I think it was probably somebody who ran the camp or something. But they got up and they said, now that we've sung this, let's go practice it. I want everyone to go out and spend some one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. And so they took huh. this psalm where David is, David is saying, I would rather spend one day in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else in any other context. And they took that to mean like the courts of the Lord are your private introspective worship times. That's, right. that's the courts of the Lord. But that is totally opposite of what was actually being right. said in that Psalm that David is saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper that stands at the, the entrance to your temple where your people gather to worship you to, to be a, a spectator at the door of that would be better than to sit on my throne or anywhere else for a thousand days. And so, so we, we think of that and there's a, there's a part of us that instinctively wants to do worship our own way. We want we want to be our own little gods. It's just, it's baked into what it means to be a fallen human, right? The heart is a, a factory of idols. And so we, we hear that and we say, yeah, better is one day in your courts. I would rather be in the presence of the Lord than not in the presence of the Lord. But the kicker is the Lord's presence is most, um, I want to be careful how I say this, because obviously we affirm omnipresence, we affirm right. simplicity, no, we it. affirm all those do things, it. but I love it. the Lord's presence is, is available to us in a particular way that is yes. not available outside of that context. And that yes, context right is in the official gathering of the church as the church. And you know, it's, it's, again, it's so simple, right? The word church means assembly. The word, the word ecclesia in, in the New Testament is it refers everywhere in the New Testament to a physical gathering of people. That's not to deny the invisible church. Obviously, we affirm that. But the way that the Bible talks about the church in the New Testament is referring to a physical gathered body of people presided over by an elder. And so when we, when we try to go outside of that context, we don't have the promise of the Lord that he will be with us in the same way. Right. outside of that context. He's with us always. He's, he's the Holy spirit dwells within us. There's all sorts of promises in the Bible that are, are spoken to and about our private experience, individual experience of the Lord. But the, right. the, the pinnacle of Christian worship is not this little individual me and me under, you know, me, myself and my Bible under the sycamore tree right? It's not, he walks with me and he talks with me in the garden and never has anyone else had so sweet an experience, right? That, that hymn is nonsense. And I say that in a church that sings that hymn on a fairly regular basis, like the hymn doesn't really equate to anything in the scriptures. But when we gather with the Lord's people on the Lord's day, particularly under the official assembly of the Lord's people, which includes an officer con convoking that assembly, 
there's a special dispensation of God's grace for that, for that group. Yes. And it, it's, it can't be replaced by zoom. It can't be replaced by your Starbucks Bible study. It can't be replaced by me and my quiet time with the Bible. All of those things are important and necessary and good, but it cannot and never will replace the Lord's worship. Cause here's, here's what it really comes down to our worship on earth in the assembly and the worship of Israel in their assembly. That is a typological reality pointing to our eternal assembly with, with God, with Christ as the official who's convoking the assembly, right? Christ is this, is the chief shepherd. He's the chief Bishop. Our pastors are under shepherds, right? And so we're, we're, we're a, a flawed reflection of the eternal gathered worship. It's not going to be me and my Bible under a tree having private quiet times with Jesus in eternity. That's just not the way it's going to be. Right. <laughs> Sorry. That was just something that was so outside the scriptures that, but that isn't that the point yeah. is I think kind of what we're saying again for anybody would say like, well, this doesn't seem quite right. And again, God is omnipresent. So are you telling me that yeah. I'm not getting the same kind of access yes. in my bedroom that I, yeah, right. That's, <laughs> yes, what, that's what we're saying. So that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I think that's maybe hard for perhaps a lot of people that are listening to, to kind of metabolize this idea that we're saying, no, the Bible has like explicitly defined the promises that God has given right. us. And that if this, if this is all true, which of course we submit that it is, and you are all sensible people examine the scriptures for yourselves in this sermon in particular, that that means then that we ought to be about this type of business of gathering together. Yeah. And so we shouldn't take it lightly. And that even in this current circumstance we talked about, and you can listen to our own episodes that we've given about when there might be reasonable purposes or designs in which to pause that kind of gathering together, especially in light of this pandemic, Nonetheless, all those things are temporary. All those things are suboptimal because what we're saying here is the optimization of basically spiritual renewal and relationship with God and access to God happens centered around and in the rhythm of the Lord's Day, a one in seven gathering of his people. And if you think we have been super pointed, then please go read <laughs> the sermon because I, I, I mean, at best all we've done is the very thing that I complained uh, poor preaching does. We've kind of just summarized and talked around yeah. and redescribed some of these things, but you'll find that Clarkson goes into such amazing detail and you'll find all of the wonderful Puritan elements. You already brought some of those up, Tony, all of the wonderful metaphors. He not only speaks about rivers, he speaks about coals yeah. and about how glowing coals snuggled up against one another, create a greater sense of heat and basically mutual energy together. And yet he goes on to say, it's not just about those things. Again, it's not just about, well, you'll be more inspired if there's a neighbor next to you singing the same music. He right. says it's much more than that. In fact, it's maybe even something entirely different than that. It's there's something even that is the progenitor of that type of experience. It isn't just about the being in the same physical right. space that God has done. So it's almost like, I know we've talked about this before, but we cannot overemphasize this. Can we? This idea of what it means to gather together and that this is beyond just saying, well, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. Right. Like that is almost, that's far too cliche and far too meaningless yeah. compared to what we're talking about here. So I hope that this pushes us all in a direction as we're, some of us, I think, are still pining for the full experience because of COVID. Others of us, I think, are trying to, maybe we feel that we're inconvenienced by some of the prescriptions that are in place right now for us to gather together. And all I'm saying is like, maybe this will help us set some of those in the proper relative context and just get us more excited for if we can be together, if we have to wear masks while we sing, we ought to do that. I think in my, in my estimation, but that we should just be more excited for the fact that we can gather together in this way. And that also 
it's almost as if, I don't know what the proper metaphor is. It's almost like trying to go to your grocery store and let's say like being very upset that there's no, there's no doctor there to take care of you. And, and you, somebody would rightfully say, well, you went to the wrong place. Like yeah. that, that doesn't, that's not how this works at all. That's not how any of this works. And that, that's exactly, I think what we're trying to say about this idea of like personal devotions or this private sense of right. worship that, that that's not how any of this works at all. If you think what you're getting there is something superior, if you think that that is the dog and not the tail, then you got to flip it around because it's possible that you got it twisted. And this is a good resource to start with. Yeah. So go to that cripple gate. I think if you just search probably for what a cripple gate. Yeah. Cripple and... gate. Um, it, I can't imagine there's too many websites with the title cripple gate. Um, but yeah, cripple gate, it, it's a, <laughs> the cripple gate is a really great resource. It, you can just, yeah, it's for sure. It's just a blog in terms of like RSS feeds. You can subscribe to it just like any other blog, but it's really well thought out, well-written articles, um, of this nature. Like he tends to focus on the more Puritan era type stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, there's a, a lot of great stuff there. And this, this article is really easy to digest. That brings us back to a, a recommendation that you had on one affirmations is if you use pocket, you can just toss this into your pocket and it'll read it out loud to you while you're going for a yeah run or driving to work or whatever um but like i said i remember i was driving to work and i was like this is so good that i have to like (laughs) i have to like i have to stop and save it so like i actually like at the next stoplight i like i stopped my phone i didn't do it while i was actively driving but when i hit a stoplight i like stopped and like saved the url so i could come back to it later and it's just that good um it really is a phenomenal sermon it's a phenomenal summary of it if you don't want to spend the time to read the entire sermon at least read the summary and you know the last thing i'll say is is this is something not just christians but but humans recognize instinctively and you can see it. This is one of those presuppositional things. You can see it in the way we organize our own institutions, right? I'm, I'm a board member on the Northeast chapter of the evangelical theological society. You can take the same six people and put them in a room. And it's not a meeting of the Northeast, uh, regional, um, ETS society without certain elements in play. Same six people, right. same place, same discussion topics. But until the the board, the chairman, or a certain number of other officers say, I'm officially calling this meeting to order, it's not a meeting of that group. It's a meeting of the same people, but it's not a meeting of that group. Um, this is why we have the concept of a quorum when you talk about voting bodies. And so we instinctively recognize this. And something we should recognize, something we should understand, when... The, the, the Roman Catholics have this concept that it, it gets misapplied, but I actually think there's something to it. They call it the, the sense of the faithful. And the idea is that the church as a whole recognizes the truth and, and that church as a whole recognizing the truth will not allow the church as a whole to run, to, to lead itself right. into error. And th- that gets abused by the Roman Catholic church for sure. But there's an element in that that's true. When, when the entire church instinctively recognizes that gathering together on Sunday morning is different than gathering together any other time of the week. There's something to it. And we have to fight against those instincts a lot of times. And it's one of those things that I've never fully understood why we fight against those instincts. So I guess the way that I'm wrapping up this show is just say, stop fighting against those instincts. Like the reform pub is famous for saying, if you're a Christian, your butt better be in a pew on Sunday. (laughs) Because that's, that's where right. it's at. That's where the Lord has promised to meet his people. And that's where his promise is focus. That's where the grace that God has given us is 
uh, most made manifest is in the gathering of the saints under the preaching of the word, particularly with the administration of the sacraments um, on the Lord's day. So, so get your butt to church on Sunday. Yeah. Amen. And if we come across as, sounding so passionate. It's actually because we care so much about this. Right. And at least like in the time that you and I have been recording this podcast, not this particular episode, but the whole series, I have grown really in my love for the Lord's day yeah. and what happens on the Lord's day. And part of the reason why there were so many words trying to fly out of my mouth at any given time <laughs> is because I've just become so thoroughly convinced that I'll say it this way in our lives, even, and even I would say the committed Christians life, there's so much latent spirituality because we fail to put the proper emphasis on the Lord's day, yeah. that this is in many ways, when you gather a miraculous event, it's something that God has given us enough to understand the weight of what's happening, the purpose of it. And yet at the same time there exists, and I'll use this again, the unsolved mystery of fully <laughs> comprehending what's happening on that day. Yeah. But all we know is that God is true to his promises and he's promised that that day, that gathering is something so special, so unique, so profound, so miraculous, so impactful in the life of the Christian that it cannot be replicated. It cannot be duplicated. There is no analog. And so to what you just said, let's just stop pretending like there is any kind of replacement for it. Let's stop trying to pretend like we can make it more convenient or convenience it away or try to find something that allows us to do it, but not have to go or let's just be done with all of that stuff yeah. and just let ourselves submit kind of just let, let that river wash over us yeah. in all of its beauty and just receive, go to the Lord's day, accepting, expecting to receive an amazing blessing that we cannot get in any other way and on any other day and in any other sense. Yeah. That is as good of a wrap up as I've ever heard. So Jesse, until next time, <laughs> honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.
another story. I think it's time for you to tell me a story. Why do you have to go, Dad? I promise, I'll be back in no time.